Good morning. We have got a lot to get to today. 58 verses. I don't want to linger too long in introducing the text, otherwise it'll be a three-hour sermon instead of a two-hour sermon. So we're, we're probably going to approach the, the exposition or the, the explaining of the scripture um, just a little bit uh, differently, maybe in larger chunks today. But I did want to remind us of a few things as we prepare to examine a, a very familiar story, right? The, uh, the story of David and Goliath. We know that even, even in the world, people, um, people know this story. And so even if they haven't been to church, they're familiar with David and Goliath. But as we read this text, I want you to keep this verse in mind. It's 1 Samuel 17. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 17 all day. We're going to start turning there. 1 Samuel 17, 46. It goes like this. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. This is David speaking to Goliath now. And I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. And this is why, right here, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. As we look at the story of David and Goliath, the temptation will be to remember back to the kid version, right? It's kind of like the Noah's Ark kid version. You see the little, the little round boat, and it's on the waves, and all the animals are smiling, and the sun's out. It's not Noah's Ark. Read Noah's Ark again. There probably wasn't a whole lot of smiling going on. But there, our temptation will be to go back to the kid version of this and, and, and remember, oh, this is about the, the little guy fighting the big guy. Maybe we, we remember rousing speeches or movies about uh, where we're encouraged to be like David, have faith like David, when we're fighting insurmountable odds or against a bully or anything that seems bigger than us at work or in life or in school. To be sure, today we will learn from the faith of David and the amazing things that God does with people of great faith like David. But I would challenge you today to look beyond that. As we're reading through this passage today, listen to David's or listen past David's faith and try to discern what the overarching theme or, or the pull of this book is. Okay, and we'll come back to it later. With that, if you ran out of the door this morning and forgot your Bible, uh, feel free to shoot your hand up. We'd love to bring you a copy. We're going to go to 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to start in verse 1. I'm sorry, we're not going to start in verse 1. We're going to start in verse 20. Oh, there's Kyle. I didn't even see you back there. Thank you, Kyle. Kyle's going to bring that up on the screen for you. We're going to go uh, 1 Samuel 17. We're going to start in verse 20. And because we're doing that, I just want to fill you in real quick on what happened in verses 1 through 19. The Philistines are attacking Odin. Uh, there's a Philistine champion named Goliath. He's challenged uh, that any Israelite wants to fight one-on-one -on -one with him. Uh, the victory of, of that battle, which would... This, would uh, Determine whose army won. It's a 1v1, and if I win, uh, my army wins. If you win, your army wins. And Goliath has been marching out and challenging and cursing at Israel for 40 days. So it's been 40 days, so David's father has, has sent him to the battle with supplies. And that's where we pick up uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 20. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. 
Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistine. As he spoke these same words, David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him, and they were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. And it will be the that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. And I will give him his daughter and make his house, his father's house, free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done to the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? The people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's uh, anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. For you, you, you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? He turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people answered the same thing as before. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David in his garments, put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took a stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistines. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. 
Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley to the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way to Shutram, even Gath and Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his weapons in his tent. Now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, By your life, O king, I do not know. The king said, You inquired whose son the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. May God have his understanding of the reading of his word. Lord, what we have not, please give us. Please teach us. May your words be my words, Lord. And may we be changed to be more like you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've got to tell you, I got a little fired up when I was preparing this message this week. I sent a reminder text out to the men for a Bible study on Friday as I was uh, preparing uh, for today, and I was pumped. I mean, this, this guy David, he's out there grabbing lions and bears by the neck and killing them. I told the men I wanted to, made me want to break out my bow to go hunting. <laughs> Don't worry, I didn't bring my bow today. But before we get to the lions and the bears, we need to look past, uh, past or before that, we need to look to the first part of the passage. And once again, we see the Philistines lining up for battle. They're a, a constant nuisance. Um, they will continue to be a constant nuisance. In fact, uh, Saul will die at the hand of the Philistines. And once again, we see them lining up, but there's something different this time. Because you remember the, in the last battle, uh, the, the troops were like the sand on the shore. And they were, there was this overpowering troop. And they split off into three sections, and they cut off all escape routes and and roots where people could reinforce them, and they were ready to take Israel by brute force. But this time, we see something different. We look at verse 1. The Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Sukkot and Azkah, in the Ephes dominion. Saul and the men of Israel gathered. So think of this valley, and if you really want uh, something cool to do, go home and Google uh, Jack Hibbs, uh, David and Goliath, and he'll he will pull up a YouTube video. He actually just went over there uh, within the last couple of years uh, and stood in this valley. And there was a lady in the first service that had been there as well. And she had actual pictures of this valley, and it's a big valley and it's got hills on both sides and a, a little dry brook that runs through it. And so Israel was up on this side, and, and the Philistines were up on this side, and the valley was to be the battlefield. They all gathered. They all get ready. But this time something's a, li 
there's a little bit that the Philistines kind of scooch to the side and start chanting, and here comes this big Goliath. Right, we see in verse 4 that a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. That translates roughly to nine foot nine inches. The, the tallest man we have on record ever is eight foot eleven. Right? And Shaq, if you remember, we've been talking about Shaq, right? King Saul about Shaq's height is seven foot one. So Goliath was two feet eight inches taller than Shaq. And the average height of, of the Israelites then would have been about five foot four, five foot five. So here, there. He's a big guy. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, probably made him look even taller. And he was clothed with scale armor that weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. That roughly translates into about 126 pounds. Just his armor, 126 pounds. And he had bronze greaves and, and on his legs, and things to protect his shins and, and knees. And he had a bronze javelin that could also be translated as a scythe. You know, those big, long, curved blades. And he had one of those on his back. The shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam. That probably had a, a, an edge on a, a piece of fabric on it so he could slide his hand, kind of like dummy cord, so he wouldn't lose the, the javelin or the spear there. And the head of it weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's 15 pounds. So I know that doesn't sound like much, but what I want you to do is go home and get a broom out of the closet. And I want you to go to the garage and dust off those dumbbells that are sitting out there that nobody uses. And I want you to put a 15 pound dumbbell on the end of that thing. And then I want you to go to the other side of the room and try and pick up that 15 pounds. It's really difficult to do when you have eight feet of stick and 15 pounds on the end of it. It's huge. Probably more for intimidation. It would have been very awkward to use. And on top of all of this, he's got another dude that walks in front of him with a full body shield. He, everywhere he goes, he just, this is all he did. I wouldn't want that job. All he had was a big old shield. The guy was a walking tank. But just like the, the, the fabled Hercules, he had one weak spot. Remember, God sees the heart. And what had Goliath done? He, he cursed God. You can, you can curse God, and then you can go jump in an M1A1 tank and drive it on the deck of a battleship, and then take that battleship and sit it on the deck of, of, of a, an aircraft carrier. And my friend, you wouldn't be as safe as a child of God wearing sandals and swinging rocks. And that's what this giant does. He puts on almost 200 pounds of armament. He has a guy in front of him holding a huge shield, and he feels pretty safe. And he goes out and he shouts at the ranks of Israel and says, Why do you come out and draw battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose one of you. One of you come out. If he's able to kill me, you guys win. If I'm able to kill him, we win. Challenge is presented to Israel. It's a new challenge. 1v1. And they've got the giant. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord they demanded a big, tall king to lead them, right? Lead them into battle. Good job, Israelites. That was good. Because then we get to verse 11. And there's that big, tall king. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. There's your big, tall first victim. Dismayed and greatly afraid. It would appear that our friends have found themselves in a bit of a pickle. 
And just like the last battle that we, that we talked about where they were surrounded and, and, and things were looking dark and, and Israel is, is facing obliteration and defeat is knocking at the door, the author takes and he shifts. Now, last time he shifted to Jonathan. Right? This time he shifts to David. In verse 12, we find out that he was the son of, of Jesse. We knew that from last week, but just in case you didn't read last week, David is the son of Jesse, and Jesse was old. And then we bump into this, the three stooges here, right? These are the guys that, that paraded in front of Samuel last chapter. And you remember uh, the first one, Eliab, uh, the tall, dark, and handsome, came walking through the door all muscly. And Samuel said, surely this is the one that God wants me to anoint as the king of Israel. And God said, no, 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 no. I look past the exterior. I look at the heart. So then Abinadab came by and said, nope. And Shammah came by and said, nope. And they went all the way down until they got to David, who was out tending the sheep. And they had to go out and get him and bring him in. And anoint him as king. David was the youngest. And verse 15 tells us, he was so young, military service for Israel began at 20. So he was younger than 20, but he was old enough that he could take supplies to the front line and tend the sheep and go back and forth. And the Philistines came forward morning and evening. Two times a day he would come out there for 40 days and curse the Israelites. And David, or excuse me, Jesse says to David his son, take now for your brothers uh, an ephah of this roasted grain, these ten loaves, run to the camp of your brothers, bring also these ten cuts of cheese. We see details here. Just like we saw details in, in Goliath where divine all of his armament told details about all of his armament. You see details here. The, the, the way the author is telling the story, he's pulling us into this story. We can see these things on it. Ten loaves. Ten big old Costco blocks of cheese, right? Big old bag of wheat. And they've been in there for 40 days, he says. Go get, him some, go get him some supplies. And then we get to verse 20, and we start to see just a glimmer of why God chose David, not Eliab. Right? Verse 20. So David arose early in the morning. Where have we heard that before? Samuel. Abraham. Right? They were given a task. They arose early in the morning. They didn't dilly-dally. They didn't do what they wanted to do first. They followed the order. David arises early in the morning. He leaves his flock with the keeper. Already we're seeing a better shepherd than the last guy. You remember how we met the last guy, Saul? What was he doing? Looking for donkeys that he lost. Not a very good shepherd. David takes care of his flock and makes sure they're secure before he leaves. He takes the supplies and he goes out as he's commanded. He runs to the camp, which would have been about 15 miles. So it was no short journey. He didn't have a Prius back then. Maybe he had a donkey. I don't know. But he gets there just in time as the armies are going out to line up against each other. And they shout back and forth, Your mom is ugly. Like a sharp dog. They're yelling back and forth at each other. David gets there, and I have to say, I think verse 22 was, was included in here just to remind us what happened the last time a king was at the baggage cart. Remember that? Saul? They were they wanted to make him king. And they said they drew lots and they got it all the way down to Saul. They couldn't find him. Where did they find him? Hiding in the baggage. And here David, we see, he leaves the baggage and he runs to the battle. 
He's talking to his brothers there and the people. And as he's talking, here comes that big old Goliath. I defy the God of Israel. I defy the armies of Israel. My God is better. And the men freak out and run. Right? They run back up into the hill. They're scared. We get verse 25, we see. Uh, have you ever been in a meeting or, or somewhere where you know you, were, you had to get something done and somebody says, okay, we need somebody to take this position. And everybody goes. <laughs> right? That's kind of what these guys are doing here. Right? They're saying, have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. Man, it'd be nice if somebody went up there and fought him. Not me. Not me. And then they throw a little, a little spice in the pot and they say, and that, and the king will enrich that man. Or he's going to make him wealthy. He's going to marry his daughter. He's going to have political power. And he'll make his father's house free in Israel. He doesn't have to pay taxes is what that means. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> David spoke to the men and he said, wait a minute, what did you just say? What? Tell, tell me more about that. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God. Doesn't the living God have any say in this matter? Who is this guy? The people said, this is what's going to be done if you kill him. Now, I would argue that David had to fight three Goliaths that day. The first Goliath was his oldest brother. Right? Because here comes his oldest brother. And we start to see why Samuel didn't uh, anoint him as king. His anger burned against David. Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep? Right? Typical big brother. I was a big brother. I did that. <laughs> Not proud of it. Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. For you've come down in order to see the battle. You just want to see dead bodies. That's what you're here for. I don't know, maybe he was a little embarrassed that this little, his little brother was there proposing to do what he was too scared to do. Maybe he was embarrassed. Fear, lack of faith, whatever it was, David's brother lashed out at him and offers up a withering attack on his motives. We've all had people like this in our lives at one moment or another. If you have it, you will. People that won't do the thing that needs to get done, but will revile those that do them. And David responds and then keeps on asking. He says, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? And he turns and he asks somebody else to verify what was going on. Now, verse 31, uh, it just gets me. Because you've got an entire camp of warriors. Men that have fought. Men that are there to fight. But as soon as a little boy comes into their ranks and starts asking about fighting Goliath, what do they do? They're off to Saul. Hey, that guy wants to do it. That guy wants to do it. <laughs> Weak men. Faithless men. <gasps> they run to Saul and they say, hey, David said, uh, David said he'd fight him, so Saul sends for him. And David now is about to fight Goliath number two. In Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan called this guy worldly wisdom. The tried and true and well-meaning voice of wisdom based on the things around us that we can see or that we've experienced. This, this is the voice that says things like, you can't, because 
Everyone else is. And maybe it's, it's the voice that says, that's just the way things are now. Just accept it. This is the voice that will shout at you from your social media or from your television set. It will rub your nose in the supposed fact that everyone else on Insta or Facebook or Snapchat or TV is right. Because they all have the numbers. Surely all those people couldn't be wrong. You can't make the difference. You're just one person. That's the essence of what Saul was going to say here to David. Starting in verse 32, he says, uh, David marches in and says, I'm going to fight the Philistine. And Saul says, going to fight this guy. Look at him. He's been fighting since he was your age. What are you thinking? Saul was looking at the exterior. David gives him this explanation about how he, he fought off a lion or a bear. I mean, it's so easy to read these stories and not really put a lot of thought in it, but think about that for a second. He fought a lion and a bear with his hands on a stick. A few years ago, and I didn't look up the, the story, but I, I can give you as much details as I've got. There was a jogger, I think he was down in San Diego somewhere, and he choked out a mountain lion that attacked him. Wow. You imagine that? He got attacked by a mountain lion, he choked it out. Those things can get to like 200 pounds. I'm going to choke out that cat I got at the house. <laughs> Scratch me to shreds. <laughs> David says, no. I would go out there and I would grab it by the neck and I would smack it till it was dead. And this guy, this little bronze guy out here, cursing the armies of the living God, he has reduced himself to the level of a beast. He's not even a man. He's like a wild bear. Your servants killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And then he says, the Lord who delivered you. He knew who did the fighting. He was there, to be sure, but he knew who did the fighting. In the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver you from the hand of this Philistine. This convinces Saul to let him go, but Saul gives one more chance to, to trap David in worldly wisdom. And he, he clothes him in his kingly clothes and, and gives him his kingly armor. There's a little symbolism here that I think we should take a quick look at. First, and ironically, we see that Saul, the current king, is clothing David, the upcoming king, with the same symbol of kingship. He's putting kingly clothes on David. God had already clothed David in the Holy Spirit, but here the earthly king stoops and places his own armor on his own armor-bearer. David wiggles his arms a little bit, takes a few steps, promptly removes the armor, takes it off. And the symbolism here being, one, that David was forsaking the wisdom of the world and the devices of the world, and instead he was wholly trusting on the power of God to fight the battle for him. But second, in taking off the armor, we see a picture of David rejecting Saul's method of being a king. See, Saul chose to dress and act like the kings of the nations around them, just like the Israelites wanted him to. But David would not. Instead, he trusted in God like the great shepherds that came before him, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or Moses. 
And so he put on the best armor in the universe, the righteousness of God. And he heads into battle. Takes a stick and a sling, he grabs five stones, and he approaches this Philistine. The Philistine looks down, and it, admittedly, it would be a little comical, right? A nine foot nine dude, and there's this little guy come running out at him. He's all armored up. David's wearing a, a coat. And he looks at him and he disdains him. I love that he included uh, for he was but a youth and ruddy and handsome. Too. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come after with sticks? And he, the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Remember, Dagon would have been the Philistine god. He, he says, Dagon cursed me. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the skies and to the sticks. He's looking at the external. And David says to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And there it is, folks. This is why we do what we do. We know there is a God, and his Holy Spirit indwells every believer. And when we are mocked for following Christ, it's not really us that's being mocked, but God. And that should bring us peace, for the battle is the Lord's. This is why we can watch the world and our culture just crumble around us. We can see our economy destroyed, our schools subverted, our, our politicians perverted, and yet still have peace, for the battle is the Lord's. Amen. You see, David discerned something that I think we should pick up on here today. There was a theological purpose in this warfare. The Philistines thought this battle was about territory and plunder. But David knew this was a religious event. Goliath had harapt Yahweh. The Hebrew word for mock. He had mocked the one true God and had even done so in the name of his gods, which were no gods at all. David was about to preach. This wasn't a fluffy Jesus loves you sermon. This was a sermon on the holiness and the power and the awesomeness of Yahweh. It was one of those sermons that just hits you right between the eyes. And now David, filled with the awesome and fearsome power of the Holy Spirit, squares off with a little giant in a brass coffin. And they they draw together. David swings that stone around, whacks him in the head. Down he goes. The Bible doesn't even tell us what happened to the shield bearer. For all we know, Goliath fell over and smashed him. We don't know. But he he turns tail and runs if he didn't get smashed because David doesn't even have to deal with him. And he doesn't have a sword, so he goes over to Goliath's sword and he pulls the old sword out of its sheath and off its head. Again, we see the enemies of God being killed by their own sword. And again, we see what happens to the enemies of God 
when a man of God stands up and destroys one of their strongholds. The Philistines saw their champion die and they fled. You can imagine. Just imagine that. You're a Philistine. You've got your, this 9 foot 9 tank that goes out there and this little kid comes running up, wings a rock at him and chops his head off. That would be terrifying. Right? I don't have brass armor. I'm not 9 foot 9 and that kid just chopped his head off. I'm out of here. They're gone. And you remember in our geography of, of Israel, they're, they're in the hilly country here and then off to the side here, this is where the Philistines mainly hung out. They were a seafaring nation that came in over the Mediterranean. So they were all out here in this plain, and they run out of those hills. They chase them right out of the hills, all the way back to Gath and Ekron, which had walls, and they close the gate. And the Israelites go back, and they plunder their camp. David takes the Philistine's head, and he brought it to Jerusalem. Don't let that slip by. We think, oh, well, they brought it to Jerusalem. That's... They didn't control Jerusalem at that time. Jerusalem was not under Israel's control at that time. It was kind of a neutral zone. So David comes in and plops the head down in Jerusalem. If you, if you know anything about David, the very first city that he attacked when he became a king was Jerusalem. It was God's city. He takes the weapons and he throws them in his tent. And then we get this little itty bitty flashback, right? When, when David was going out against the Philistines, Saul goes to Abner, who is this kid? Who's his daddy? And Abner says, I don't know. He says, well, go ask who his daddy is. So David comes back. He's still got the Goliath's head in his hand. And Saul says, whose son are you, young man? David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. And you might be confused because in the last chapter, you said, wait a minute. Uh, he's, he called Jesse and said, send David, right? But it just shows the incompetence of King Saul. And the fact that he didn't even know what was going on in his kingdom. And he, he, he didn't, does anybody know the name of my dad? He's like, we just don't talk about it, right? So Saul, he didn't know the name of, of, of David's dad. And he says, who's your, who's your father? Who do I get the tax exemption to? And you remember David in 2 Samuel 14, 20, he was empowered by the Lord. He was like an angel of God to know everything that is in the land. Saul did not know anywhere near everything. So what are we to do with this passage today? Should we set up a shop selling slings in the lobby of our church here? Go out to the gravel out there and teach people how to... I'm not sure that's exactly what we need to do. Remember what I told you to remember, verse 47, as we read through the passage today. Were you able to discern the overarching theme or pull of this book? Hopefully you were able to see that the theme of this book lies in the fact that God's holy name was being dishonored. His character and ability were being assaulted. Remember when the Philistines took the ark and they put it in the temple of Dagon and the statue falls over and the next they put it back up and the next day they come in and the head's gone and the hands are chopped off and they're on the threshold. By the end of the story, they have to invent a new little ritual. They have to hop over the threshold. They can't even step on the threshold anymore. Because Yahweh was not a subject of Dagon. He was not subdued by the demonic gods of this world. Our God is not weak. 
or untrustworthy, or even able to be completely understood, much less contained by man. This is the God of Israel, and he would not and will not today be mocked. And yet, we still have Goliaths today that don't understand him. Men and women that curse Yahweh by their own gods. And they seem huge and unable to be defeated. Our own governor is one of those Goliaths. Back in September of this year, Governor Newsom spent 100000 of his re-election funds to purchase billboard space in several states that are currently restricting or working on restricting abortions. On some of these billboards, he placed a portion of scripture, Mark 12, 31. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I find it highly irrational that, that they put that on there because he says there is no other commandment greater than these. Well, what's the first commandment that Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Well, he didn't put that on the billboard for us. He put the second one on there tried to make it fit his agenda. The billboard also had a message, need an abortion? California is ready to help. And then it gives a web address that he instructed to be set up to find women, or to help women find more information on things like where to get an abortion. There's so much wrong here, I, I don't really even know where to start. I think the best place to start is Galatians 6, verses 7 through 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this also, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. But I have questions. I have questions about this statement on the billboard. Like, is it loving to your neighbor to further the deception our world pushes on vulnerable fathers and mothers that until it's viable, the baby is just a clump of cells? Is it loving to the baby who is also our neighbor to help his or her mom get an abortion? And before I go on, I want to pause. Because I know that statistically, one in four people in America will encounter abortion in their lifetime. I said people because it takes a man and a woman to make a baby. Amen? Amen. And for every abortion, there are two people responsible. So men, we aren't off the hook. God help the man that abandons a pregnant woman to an abortion. All that having been said, what is the one sin that cannot be forgiven? The one sin that there is no hope for? The sin of not placing your faith in the saving power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no other. All other sins can be forgiven. So if you're here today and you are one of those one in four, please know that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Washed in the blood and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you haven't already, you can take that sin, repent, and lay it at the foot of the cross and know that Jesus forgives you and that he loves you and we love you too. Our problem today is not repentant sinners. Our problem today has to do with a completely unrepentant governor dressed in bronze, waving his spear around and twisting the holy words of Yahweh. 
and other Goliaths as well. A new piece of legislation is being added to our voting ballots this November. It's called Prop 1. What it seeks to do is permanently make so-called reproductive rights part of our state constitution. Governor Newsom donated $2 million from his re-election fund for ads supporting Prop 1. The open-ended wording of Prop 1 leads many to worry that it will expand abortions even to late-term abortions. But even if that doesn't happen, even if it just stays the way it is now, we're still making abortion a fundamental right. The ironic thing about Prop 1 is that if it passes, it will enter the Constitution under Article 1, Section 1 of our Constitution. The opening few lines of Section 1 state, all people by nature, free and independent, and have inalienable rights. Among these are enjoying and defending life and liberty. A recent poll shows that 69% of California voters will vote yes for Prop 1 today. So I will ask you again, should we set up a slingshot in the front lobby? Go out to the gravel and start figuring out how to sling stones? If that's what you think, I have a story for you. My dad had a sling when I was a kid. Two pieces of leather, a little pouch, and you put a rock in it, spin it around. I wanted to try it out. As a kid, I wanted to try it out, so I put the, the rock in there, and I start spinning that thing around. Well, that rock slips out, and guess what it does? Boop! Right in the back of the head. I think we can all agree that if we started slinging stones at people that had dishonored God, our first stone would be for ourselves. For the times that we have dishonored God with how we have acted or not acted. Times where we have witnessed God being mocked and yet ran away in fear. Okay? So we don't throw stones. What can we do? How do we defeat these two Goliaths? Well, we should certainly demonstrate faith like David did and pray. Pray for the salvation and the heart change of Gavin Newsom, our legislature, those involved with abortion and those affected by abortion. We can also vote no in November. There's no such thing as not voting on this. No such thing as not voting and, and also not agreeing with these Goliaths. If this vote passes, 200 million of our tax dollars will go to providing no-cost abortion. You're involved whether you vote or not. You can also check out ministries specifically geared toward defeating abortion. We've recently been involved with a group called Love Life. Mm -hmm. uh, their primary duty is to go around to abortion clinics around the Bay Area, pray in front of the clinic, pray that it gets shut down. Um, if mothers and fathers are attempting to enter, pray for them, uh, seek to, to share God's love with them, provide them with opportunities to receive support from churches in the area, and avoid the abortion. And for those that, that go in and actually complete the abortion, they're there to give them hope. That same hope that I just gave earlier, that Jesus Christ can forgive everything and will clothe you in righteousness you don't repent. Next Wednesday, I'll be going and praying with the area leader of, of Love Life and several other church members from around the area. You're more than welcome to join me. If you're interested, see me after the service and I can give you the details. These are all great things. 
and things that I believe we should absolutely do. Absolutely. Like David, we should step out against these giants armed with God's righteousness and power and stand for God. But remember, these giants aren't mocking us. They're mocking God. And someday we will all stand before Jesus Christ the judge. And without a heart change, without repentance, these tiny giants will fall, and great will be their fall. For the battle is the Lord's. Do not fear. The God of the cosmos is fighting for his own holy name. We've been given an opportunity to join in the battle, but he doesn't need us to defend his name. He will do it. We are simply called to trust to obey. We're going to sing one last song today. Then we're going we're to pray, and then we're going to sing the song. As I sing that song, if you don't know the God of the cosmos, you don't know the Jesus that can forgive every sin except for one, I'd love to introduce you to him. I'd love to get you started on your walk towards heaven, towards sanctification. If you want to come down and just pray, feel free. If you want me to pray, just let me know. I'll pray with you. But as we go our separate ways today, and we fight our battles, we are called to be like David and step out in faith. But remember, the battle is the Lord's, and he will defend his name. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the truth that are contained in there. We thank you that we can trust you, Lord, to fight the battle. That while we are called to step out and, and, and stand against these Goliaths, these seemingly untouchable giants, while the odds are against us and polls tell us there's no way, you can't do it. Those are right. There is no way. We can't do it, but you can. And we come in your name, for the battle is the Lord's. Lord, please watch over us this week. Please watch over Judy. She loves you. In your heavenly name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please join us in standing as we sing about his love to thank the Lord that he does fight for his name.